Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Well, work, it's supposed to be hard, right? It's supposed to be grueling, it's supposed to be toil, we're not supposed to enjoy it. Isn't that how it works? Isn't that because of the fall? Well, not really, I think, seems to be the best answer to that. As you may recall, when we spoke with Brian Harris a couple of weeks ago on the program, it was work that God placed us in the garden to do in the first place, and that work still has to be done. It's actually something that is good for us to do work that God has given for our own benefit. Yes, sin absolutely enters the equation, and in every workplace around Australia, you're going to find relationships strained as a result of what happens in relationships in this fallen world. Um, we're groaning and straining and hoping for the world to come because it's going to be better than that. But there will be work, and that work will be satisfying. And we can, if we look at it in the right way, get a glimpse of that here in the work that we're doing in this place, serving others. Those are some of the themes behind a fantastic couple of books called Workship. Workship One was released a while back by author Cara Martin. Uh, she's a journalist by background and so many other things. Uh, she's just about to release Workship Two, and Cara joins us now. Hello, Cara. Thank you so much, Stephen. So good to have you here, and I just love the subject. It is, I think, pretty much the question I ask myself almost every day of mm. my life since I became a Christian. Mm. How do you work in a way that is going to honour God? Totally. And funnily enough, when I started asking that question, there were very few people who could answer it. Yeah, I, th that was my beginning point too. Yeah. Um, and in fact, in the same sort of career as you. So as a TV <laughs> journalist, I walked into a, a room where I just felt completely unprepared yes. for what I was facing, the, the, the culture of the place, uh, the challenges of what I was being asked to do, and even a sense of, God, why have you put me here? What is my role? How do you see my role? So that was the starting point for me asking questions that 30 years later I'm trying to still answer. <laughs> a good friend back in the day said something like, oh, it's just tent making. Mm. I can't see it as tent making. No, I think that's a really sort of passive way of looking at it. So the, t the two answers uh, generally we're given is um, that, yeah, it's about, you know, running the Bible study at the workplace or mm. it's about sort of the conversation at the water cooler. Um, or it's the other thing is it's about your character at work. Those mm. are the two sort of easy answers. But no, they're I, good things in themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, but? They're just two slivers, I think, of what mm. God is trying to do. I think actually that there's much more opportunity, that this place is a mission field in a way that our our brains are sort of too small to, <laughs> to really grasp sometimes. But here is... Uh, an opportunity that God has prepared you for. Uh, so we are God's workmanship in 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 the words of Ephesians 2.10, who he has carefully crafted for this good work that he has set out for us to do. And that's part of the big picture is that he wants to redeem the whole world. He wants to reconcile every part of the world, relationships, our, our relationship with creation, our relationship with him. And our work is an essential part of doing that, whether it's cleaning toilets and providing order or whether it's making major decisions that are influence the economy of Australia, um, all of that can be seen in light of, of God still caring and running this world, but also hoping Christians can bring that fragrance of the kingdom into all of that.
And the example of cleaning the toilets, now some might will look at that and say, yes, that's an example of being a humble servant at work, mm. doing a menial task is a good thing. And yes, it is, except you see a redemptive purpose in it as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's cleaning up the mess of our society. I mean, one of the things I often point out in these areas of hygiene, like we... We might not notice it if a world-famous scientist or a world-famous economist passed away, but they're the ones we honour. But if suddenly hygiene operators, sanitation workers don't work, the whole city grinds to a halt within days. You see that very (laughs) good. The garbage strikes in New York or something, it becomes completely dysfunctional. Absolutely. It's such a critical role. And and that is the way that often the jobs, I mean, one of the terrible lies that we have in our society is that your worth is according to how much you're paid. But the most important work that's been done is, is often very humbly paid or not paid at all. So caring for children is such a critical job. And we sometimes don't... Mothers don't feel they're honoured or fathers don't feel they're honoured if they're focused on that because they're not paid for it. Um, but the jobs, aged care work, um, nursing, sanitation work, a lot of those jobs that feel really menial are actually really significant, important work uh, that we should honour. And God certainly honours. Mm. Now, let's move to the personal because as well as God's great big strategic plan to redeem the whole creation mm. using us as his agents mm. – um, after Jesus did the work on the cross mm. to get the theology in the right order. Um, beyond all of that, he actually made work for us to be satisfied. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that we, I think we don't really grasp. Unfortunately, in our society and in our churches, we start with the fall, the curse of work, that work is hard and difficult and painful and mm. a toil. And you think of synonyms for work, all the synonyms for work are horrible, sludgery <laughs> and labor and hard yakka, like they're horrible words. But actually, if we go before the fall, We're made in the image of a God who works. And the first thing he asks us to do is he places us in the garden to work the earth. And Mm. then he works with us in naming the animals. They're all vignettes from Genesis. They're beautiful ideas of work Mm. as a good thing, a healthy thing. And one of the most depressing things I get to tell people who've retired is, well, actually, A, there's no retirement word in the Bible, and B, (laughs) you're going to be working in heaven as well. Like uh, work is part of who we are, how we're made up. And really it's about doing things with purpose and intent, using our gifts and our abilities and our skills. Um, But it's not – it's work that um, is flourishing and feels – feels wonderful and frees us and we learn that's that's the real image of work and that's the sort of work that we would all love and we would all enjoy i think indeed mm. our guest on open house is cara martin she's the author of workship and now workship two how to flourish at work a second volume after your after your first volume which really mm. unpacked all of these ideas and i'm so glad you've done both of these books, Cara. Um, so let's let's look at the, some of the purposes of the book itself. Firstly, you want people to start to uh, see their work in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you, you do that through a series of uh, uh, both questions and worksheets. This is something you'd work through as a home group or yeah. with your work colleagues perhaps or mm-hmm. with your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, my concept was um, I want something where someone can sit in a short commute and read a chapter. So the chapters are reasonably short, but then there's some questions to ponder as you think about how do I apply this to, to where I work and what mm. I do? And then a prayer at the end um, just to, to get us in the conversation with God about those different areas. But yeah, my my daughter actually started doing um, it with her uh, young adult 
Bible study group, and and that was uh, a really fun exercise to see them work through oh, it. Well, mm. congratulations, because it's young adults who ask these questions, and we seldom yeah. have answers for them. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's such a critical thing. Um, if we look at the stats, we've got you know quite a thriving school ministry where where people come to faith. We have a thriving university ministry where people come to faith, mm-hmm. and in those first couple of years of work, we have this terrible drop off, and that's the the missing group in our churches. And a lot of it, I think, is because when they go into a workplace, there's not the support networks, there's not the the assistance to think through what they're doing. Um, and yeah, the, we as churches, as the people of God, are not supporting people to really wrestle with these topics. Mm. Well, let's answer, answer that question because that's the mm. second reason you've written the book. The second <laughs> yes. part of the book is really about how churches mm. can equip people for work. So let me mm. ask you initially, why do you think churches don't do much of this? Um, in my experience, there's a couple of reasons. One of them is that um, our our pastors, our ministers have often, um, the last time they worked in, and I'll bracket secular workplace, because I think all work is the same, but anyway, in the yeah. secular workplace was a long, long time ago. Yeah. So there's there's this big gap from understanding really the, the milieu and the experience of being in that culture and that environment. Um, so suddenly they're talking to people where previously they've been the subject experts, the spiritual experts, and suddenly... They're talking about an area that they don't know as as much about. So there's a mm. there's a bit of fear and a bit of uncertainty about it. The other thing I think is that uh, there's a failure to see the opportunities of the workplace. So Billy Graham said uh, in Cape Town at uh, the Lausanne meeting that he saw the workplace or the marketplace as where the next great movement of God would be. Mm. He saw that as a potential for a mission field. And if we recognise the workplace as a mission field, then I think we would be much more uh, supported by churches to actually see the opportunities of that. But the thing is, the problem is that um, for the church itself, supporting people to go out scattered into these different mission fields mean that the church itself might feel that they're their agenda and their um, purposes are not being met so much. But for the kingdom, it's fabulous. <laughs> yes, and I want to come back and ask you about what happens in congregations in a moment. Before that, just to pause and say, are we not slightly in danger, though, of going back to the idea that the only le- legitimate work um, for us to do in, in the so-called secular environment is to make disciples? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I say... When I say mission, I guess I see God's mission as sort of a lot bigger and broader. Mm. Um, So I think that sometimes we fall in the trap of thinking that our message, our gospel message is to um, save spirits for heaven in eternity, Mm. like people when they die. Mm. But I think the gospel mission is actually much broader. It's that bigger sort of reconciliation, redemption mission. Um, so there's intrinsic value in the work that people do in itself. Mm. Um, so so the accountant uh, bringing order to the chaos of numbers and helping organisations, empowering organisations so they can be productive and provide services for people, there's, there's great value in that work mm. in itself. Um, I would love people to to recognize so much that they are fulfilling God's mission in doing that that work that they become a light 
for other people. Well, that's very Mm. good. Now, So um, now to return to the congregation, because (laughs) we probably are quite good at equipping people uh, for evangelism in the workplace, Mm. but that's still focusing on this middle Mm. um, sin and your need Mm. for salvation. Mm. It doesn't go generally, in my experience anyway, to the broader questions of working redemptively in the world as part of God's great plan Mm. to redeem all things on a new earth, new heaven and a new earth. What and I think you would love meeting um, this friend of mine, Brian Harris. He's from Vos Seminary in mm-hmm. Perth. Maybe perhaps you already know him. Yeah, I wrote in that book that you talked about. Okay, there you are. Yeah. So he says, yeah. giving the world a better name. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So in mm. congregations then, um, we're not hearing teaching about that. Mm. I think that's true. Um, I mean, the, the classic the classic situation uh, is this woman who said, She's a Sunday school teacher and she's also a teacher in her career. And she was saying that once a year for her Sunday school teaching, she's brought out in front of the church. They pray for her. They commission her. They thank her and they send her out. And she said that's for 45 minutes of teaching on a Sunday to really good church kids where the parents are all supportive. And she said, but in her daily work as a teacher. She's in a difficult environment with difficult kids. Um, and she said, I just wish people would pray for me in that role and what I'm trying to do there. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I think if we could celebrate all the different roles, not just pick out the professional Christian roles, but celebrate all the roles that people have and see that actually we need to focus our prayer on people who um, are struggling in their work and help them to um, really have a sense of God's presence and the support of the church behind them as they work through difficult issues in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, We should commission people as they take up new jobs uh, to really encourage and support and say, well done. Um, I think some of those things are really important. It would enable people to feel that they're working with God wherever they go. Mm. Yes, Um, and and yet... (laughs) quite often uh, professions become the butt of the sermon illustration. Yeah. Like, all teachers need to teach kids this. Why is the <laughs> medical profession not doing X, Y, Z? Journalists mm. and politicians are particularly yeah. targeted. <laughs> I feel your wounds roster. opening up there. Oh, was I that transparent, Cara? Sorry. <laughs> That's two of your roles. <laughs> oh, dear. That's very painful. I think that's true, and I think there's – uh, yeah, I, I spent three years um, down at Ridley in Melbourne and they had a wonderful vision thinking, how can we prepare the future church leaders to have a better theology of work? Yeah, you see, theology yeah, of work yeah. is not actually taught in the very theological educations that turn out the church pastors. And yeah. often what ends up happening is we get this this uh, false idea of, you know, here is the church where we're the good people of God, and here are the professional Christians who are ministers and missionaries, and out there is the the bad, dark, separate, horrible place out there, um, and that the only where, the only place where God works is here in the church. Mm. Uh, one of the big breakthroughs for one one of uh, one of the people who read my books was she said that. She thought it was her duty to take God to her workplace. And she also saw her role. She was just, you know, sitting an administrator in a hospital and she thought she had a very insignificant role. Mm. So she read my book and then she started thinking, hang on, God's here. <laughs> you know, we read these these beautiful passages in Ephesians and Colossians about Jesus being sovereign over the whole world, but we don't actually act as if it's true. And she was thinking, okay, so each morning she would say, Jesus, 
help me to see where where you're already at work. And suddenly she started having all these conversations with people. People, she just had a sense of God's prompting about someone who was stressed or someone was having a difficult area. And then God opened up these um these opportunities for her to see whether where where there were there was great injustice in her workplace as well, where she could stand up and have a bit of a voice, and she suddenly saw that her role, as she saw a humble administrator, was actually a beautiful opportunity to influence the culture of her organisation, and that she could speak. Uh, to the cleaner who came in and the managing director of the hospital, they all knew her, and she was sort of yes. an op- had an opportunity to 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 link people and plant ideas and prompt people and mm. say, "Oh, this person hasn't been recognised for this," and and suddenly she saw these wonderful opportunities in a workplace she hadn't seen, and I don't think uncoincidentally she had more God conversations and gospel conversations than she'd had for all the other years of her working because mm. she was alive to God and what He was doing in that place. Wow, mm. I experienced that um, level of care uh, one day in an airport lounge, mm. actually. I'd been at a certain event and I was really, it was a time of my life where I was um, greatly conflicted and really, well, quite profoundly depressed, actually. Mm. Walked into the airport lounge um, where the person on the desk, who kind of knew me because I was a pretty frequent, a very Mm. frequent flyer, she said, are you okay? Mm. And we got to talking and... um, you know, she ministered to me. And then she went on to tell me that she said, oh, yes, I had the chairman of a large company in here the other day. And she said, I said to him, you've got to look after your CEO because he was in here and I I know that he needs. I mean, there she is as Jesus. Yeah. You know? Yeah, providing pastoral care. What a role. (laughs) (laughs) And I think think that's what I want to see. Um, The Methodist Church in England has this thing, um, where they say chaplains everywhere. Yeah, and what yeah. they do is they say that everybody who has a job, wherever they are, they can be a chaplain to their local community, mm. to their local workplace. Um, if we could see that we have this opportunity to provide pastoral care, to be the ones that notice those sort of things, to be the ones who offer encouragement, um, yeah, that, that totally transforms the way we see our work. Unless... Um, pastors feel that we've paid out on them. <laughs> Retribution? No, no, no. No, we're about reconciliation. Uh, yeah. No, no, in all seriousness, by doing that, by equipping us, the saints, for that, then you do a wonderful job, Pastor, so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, here is here is the great opportunity for the church that, that I think there's a little too much focus on the church gathered, but the church gathers yep. to equip people for the church scattered. Yeah. Uh, Say that again. I, I came over the top of you. The church gathered. gathered. Equips the people for the church scattered. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's, I think, when we get that happening, um, there's a vibrancy and excitement. And this is... This is what we're seeing um, in churches that really embrace this. So probably the classic example would be Tim Keller's church in New York, which Mm. is sort of quite celebrated. Well, they have a really vibrant faith and work ministry. In fact, they see that as one of their sort of 
major pillars. And what Tim Keller does is when he's preaching through a series, he'll get a group of people from his congregation together. And, you know, he'll have a stay-at-home dad and he'll have an artist and he'll have um, a business person and he'll sit down with them and he'll say, right, let's talk about this passage. What do you hear here? What do you see here? Um, And then he'll use those sorts of ideas for applications Mm. as he's actually preaching. And that's that awareness of how is someone going to hear this and apply that to their Monday is such a an important and critical feature. Mm. And that's where the pastor brings all the the understanding and their biblical richness and and helps people to make those connections to wherever they're going to be on a Monday. Mm. Our guest on Open House is Cara Martin, the author of Workship and Workship 2, that's the new volume. It's just just about to be launched, and it's a very exciting book. In a moment, um, I'd like to talk to you, Cara, about when work gets hard. Mm. Uh, we'll take a break and be back with Cara Martin in just a moment. And this is Open House. We're talking about God at work through us. We are his workmanship created, it says, in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, and this one blows me away, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians chapter 2, and it's one of the key ideas in Workship and Workship 2 by Cara Martin, who's with us in the studio. Well, let's go to exactly to that mm. verse. When God says workmanship, but that word that ends up in our English language is this clunky workmanship, what does it mean in the original? Uh, it means that God has crafted us carefully. We are his work of art. We wow. are a thing of beauty that he's put together. We are each unique in his sight in the way that he's put us together to mm. do this important work that he's prepared for us to do. Mm. And then the next phrase, mm. created in Christ Jesus. Yeah. That's a really significant reminder that um, our identity is not in the work that we do. Mm. Our identity is in Christ. And our salvation is not because of the work we do. Mm. Our salvation is because of what Jesus has done. Awesome. Mm. Then the next one, to do good works. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think this is the thing that we, we've got to keep asking God about. What is the good work that you've prepared me to do? I don't think we ask that sort of question enough. And, and we're tempted to think that our work is external to our faith in some ways. But mm. if we actually see that our work is an opportunity for us to do that which is good, and, and we're immediately taken back at that point to Genesis 1 where God is doing this incredible work of creating the world. And at each juncture, he's stopping and looking at it and saying, it is good. Mm. And the concept of good there is not just, you know, thumbs up, bonza. It's actually uh, <laughs> The work. Bible in icons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's work that is appropriate, work yeah. that is just right, work that is the way that God intended it to be. It's complete. Mm. It's, yeah, that's right. It has right. a shalom about it. A wholeness. So mm. when, when it says to do good works, it's not just to do a charitable work. No, no. It's not just to occasionally feed the homeless, but mm. there's this sense of the entirety of your life is lived mm. in the shalom of the peace, the sense of purpose of working in a way that acknowledges God's role in your life, mm. contributing to the lives of others. That's, yeah. Is that what it means? Absolutely. It's about us being part of reversing the effects of the fall and mm. also giving people a taste of the new creation, the new thing coming in. Mm. Now, the last phrase in this verse, Ephesians 2.1, is which he, God, prepared in advance for us to do. 
It's a little bit mind-blowing, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's mind-blowing, and people trip over it as well, don't they? They say, oh, I'm waiting to find out the precise thing that God, does he want me to turn left, turn right? Should mm. I be a lawyer or a mm. GP? What is, you know? Mm. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's dangerous. I, mm. um I think that a lot of people are waiting for the one thing. <laughs> but it, there is a plural on works, by the way, <laughs> yes. that actually this is an ongoing process, an yes. unfolding process. And I think I think the message that comes out of that that we should take is not so much I have to wait to find out what it is, but I have this amazing hope that God has already prepared this. And each mm. step I take, I ask God to sort of guide me into that work that he wants me to do. Um, so I often talk about, um, if you think about a, a big ocean liner, um, it takes a while for that thing to get moving. So if you're stopped, it's an awful lot of effort to get moving. But once it's moving, it doesn't take much. It's just a little tug that, that, <laughs> that pushes it to actually guide it to the right place. So yeah. I think we actually need that's to nice. get moving doing the work and ask God to guide us where just he wants us to be. start where you are yeah, that's and right. see what happens next. Mm. But what more. a hope to know that, you know, when certain circumstances impact on us um, in ways that we think is horribly unfair, mm. that there is still good work, good work that God is preparing for us. Will you go to some of those things in this very helpful book, Workship 2? Um, but I'll start with the very opening of the book, which is a prayer for work. Mm. And I love this. It's like a psalm, I suppose, in a way, isn't it? Which yeah. you've written. No, no. It's my friend Imogen wrote. Is it really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Turn the page. Which is just beautiful. Okay, thank yeah. you, Imogen. Um I will always be disappointed at work, Lord, <laughs> by the perceived defects and inadequacies of my colleagues, by inefficient systems, by corporate and individual failure to live up to projected ideals, and by my own failings. I will always be disappointed. And then the kicker, the response perhaps, unless I look to you. Yeah. I think that's right. We can get overwhelmed with the impact of sin on yeah. work. And um, sin impacts on our own work. We're not as productive as we want to be, and we're conscious that we don't do the best work every day. Yeah. It impacts on our relationships with other people, and that can be really painful. Um, and it impacts on systems. There's systemic impact as well, where um, things just don't work the way that, that you want them to, especially computers at a crit critical time when you have to get something out. So, so we see the impact of sin. Um, and we can we can sort of wrestle with that, but also we can put our hope in our work as well, which can be a really um, it will never be as fulfilling as we would hope it to be. But if we rest in God and see His actual way of looking at all these things, mm. um, we have the comfort. Um, and the inspiration to be able to make sense of it all. It's a bit mm. defusing, perhaps. Yeah. If yeah. you can project outside of yourself to see the situation you're in as being part of a bigger picture. And I think of Phil Vischer as well, um, who was doing Veggie Tales, and he tells the cautionary tale of getting so caught up in his work, and it was all about his work that he stopped looking to God for what God wanted to do. And that's the danger, I think, that we, we think about work as our thing. Um, but if we hand it over to God and see that we are stewards of the gift of this job to do the work that God wants us to do, then immediately that opens up new possibilities. Well, you actually go to that with a couple of examples in this book about um, people who saw their work as you know, absolutely critical, missional, all those things. But then something happens, there's a restructure. And then mm. at that moment, and many people have felt this, there is this temptation to say, overwhelming temptation, 
this is my job, it's being ripped away from me, God gave it to me, this is a sinful thing, I need to fight back. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I've been in that place a couple of times. (laughs) I'm still learning the experience of it. So um, some of this book is written from bitter experience. And it is hard. And what has happened, and what I think is very easy to do, is that our identity has been very subtly infused into our work. You think about when people ask us at a party or something, so what do you do? Mm -hmm. We answer, I am a journalist, Mm -hmm. I am a writer, whatever. We Mm. That I am statement is a statement of identity. We actually don't describe what we do. We don't do. say I do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're not describing activity. We're describing our identity, how yeah. we see ourselves. And that's, I think that's, that's what's happened in our society is that we identify so much with the job that we find it really hard to give it up. Um, it's become who we are. It's become the root of our self-esteem. We get esteem mm. because people say, oh, you're really great at that. Mm. Uh, we get our sense of significance, our role in society about our position. We get our sense of security mm. because we think, um, you know, this job will provide for me. And so that when that's taken away, we're actually reduced. And, and some of us feel like I'm nothing now. It's almost like you don't exist anymore. You have to sort of remake yourself because you were that role so completely. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm transitioning between different types of roles at a mm. different stage of life where I'm not really looking for a full-time gig in a sense. I'm doing a series mm. of part-time things, some voluntary, some paid. I'll admit to you, Cara, because you're my friend and no one else is listening. <laughs> you know, yes. I, I'm actually finding aspects of that really hard. Yeah. I think probably... Um, I think probably it's a bit harder for guys to Christian guys in the sense that we've we've loaded you this huge burden of seeing yourselves as the provider and the provider in Christian parlance is full-time job and a career going somewhere. Mm. Um and so because even in our churches we don't honor the voluntary work and the part-time work as much and it doesn't it's certainly not sort of valued generally in society um it's if you tie your significance to your your pay packet um Mm. you may not feel that you're actually honored as much as you were Mm. and one of the artifacts of that observable phenomenon is the way that we undervalue the work of women. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I um, I do have a chapter on women in this book. I've been really careful. I want this book to be a book for, for men and women. Um, and there aren't many women who write for men and women. There's a few books about women struggling in the workplace. But, but I felt I had to write a chapter on this because I think there are some particular issues. And, and even recently, there's been some more articles about this where, where women um, – yeah, there are particular challenges for us um, in terms of the system, in terms of the work that we do not being valued equally, in terms of sort of feeling like we have to do every part. We have to work fabulously and mother fabulously and hold the home together fabulously and, and also volunteer for all the Christian activities fabulously and, and yeah, feed the world, etc. Like <laughs> We, feel like we yeah. carry the burden of feeling like we have to do all that and we have yeah. to do it really really well Um, and that's that's a huge burden and I think there's beginning to be a whole load of articles where where women are saying they're just struggling they're struggling with the juggle of all that Um, so yeah and in that book lean in like we hear exactly that that it's like Mm. the author of that gave permission for women to say yeah actually I can't do everything yeah but we then we men we need to walk beside women not in front (laughs) walk beside women in a different way 
mm. um, to shoulder that burden together. There's a, there's quite a shift going on. There is, and I, I really see it in my children's generation right. that there's much more um, of a sense of instead of you know, these necessarily defined roles. It's how we're going to – here's the work that needs to be done. How do we work out how we're going to do it? Um, and that will change shape over time. There's a lot more flexibility about how that's done. And I think that's probably really healthy because we need um, fathers who are encouraged to embrace their, their fathering roles rather than thinking that they have to give work the priority. Um, and we, we need uh, women who feel honoured for doing the mothering role but also uh, – uh, given permission and freedom to flourish in different work as well. Mm. Mm. Our guest is Cara Martin. She's an author and many other things. She's the author of Workship 2, which is just about to be officially launched, but it's out there now, and it's a very, very helpful book from Graceworks. Will you address the issue of toxic workplaces? <laughs> um, and one of those, that would be partly the, op- the opposite of what you've just said, a flourishing workplace mm. or a place where flourishing is done by people and mm. the work itself. Um, how do you know if your workplace is toxic <laughs> as opposed to just, you know, difficult? Yeah, yeah. I think um, we're, we're easy to describe many workplaces as toxic mm. when it's slightly uncomfortable for us. A toxic workplace impacts on more than just one person in the workplace. Mm. Um, a toxic workplace is when um, the work is, is not being done effectively anywhere in the workplace. Um, and that can be the result of one person who's quite psychopathic in some way, like, <laughs> who's, a, who's a, a very controlling boss can have that sort of influence. Or it can be when the systems are so broken that nothing's working properly. Uh, so there's lots of different reasons for it. Sometimes it's just a culture of um, malaise where, where, you know, there's no encouragement to actually work effectively and and to come up with new ideas so there's lots of different reasons for it but it's more than just i'm unhappy with where i am right now um and i think the toxicity is when it impacts so significantly on you that it's all you can think about it's almost like an addiction it's it's like it becomes overwhelming in your life you can't sleep because of it um you can't talk to anyone about anything else but it (laughs) and uh and it's it's almost like it's become the major thing around which your whole life operates. Mm. So there are people listening right now who are saying, mm. oops, that's me. Yeah, that's her. And then the next thought is, but God needs me to stay there. Yeah, and I think I think in some ways, yes, um, to a point. <laughs> well, let's explore where that point is because I yeah. think this could be a helpful conversation. Yeah, well, there was one time um, I was at, uh, speaking at a church and the minister of the church took me aside and he said, I'm really worried about my daughter. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And he said, I just think she's struggling. She's really struggling in her work mm-hmm. and I, I don't know why she's still doing it. She's been doing it for a long while. And he said, do you mind just, you know, asking some questions and just opening up the conversation? And so I did have the opportunity to do that. And I was talking to her and it was it was sort of sad, beautiful in the sense that she was saying that she just felt um, she felt like this was a place of oppression for her, that she went every day. And um, it was so difficult. She didn't feel like she could do her best work. She didn't like the sort of work she was being asked to do. And then she told me, um, but I have to keep working here because my father won't be proud if I leave. And yeah. at that point, I was able to say to her, well, it's your father who asked me yes. to talk to you about this. Oh, wow. And she sort of burst into tears. And I said, look, 
Do you feel that your your soul, your sense of who you are with God is being impacted and and damaged by what's happening? Yes. And she said yes. And I said, well, it is time for you yes. to get out. You've fought the good fight. You've struggled on. You've tried to be God's person in that place. But it's got to a point where you're unable to do that witness. You're unable to do that. And in fact, mm. it's, it's, it's having a really bad impact on you and not just you, your whole family. And um, so it was sort of like permission giving. And, and she, yeah, she was very tearful. We prayed together and, um, and she left that job. And she was so much lighter afterwards that she could just see that was the right decision. And I think that's the thing. If you make that decision and say, right, I am leaving, I've reached that point, and mm. you feel an overwhelming sense of peace about it, mm. then often mm. that's God's confirmation of, yes, this is the right thing to do. Um, I think... We sometimes want to give up too early and maybe there's some lessons we need from God about persistence and strengthening our character and being his person in that place. But mm. but there is a point where um, where it's impacting too much on us and, and that's the point with prayerful consideration and with the advice from counsellors and our friends and supporters, we say, enough is enough, I need to get out. Mm. And to flip that... Um for employers, to be able to have a conversation with an employee that goes to that deeper level, mm. um, which kind of ends up, and so hear me say there are industrial implications and, you know, check with your HR specialists, but, and what a what a difficult world we live in where we've got mm. to address things in terms of, you know, the legalities of separation law. However... There is a role, isn't there, for employers to say, I know that you're not happy here, and I'm just wondering if um, the way you see yourself serving in work is different from the way we would have you serve here. Mm. Maybe the kindest thing for all of us is for, you, for us to help you find a position where you're better suited or you feel you can serve in a better way. Yeah, I think that's a... That's a really important conversation, but there needs to be trust <laughs> yeah, for someone to yeah, hear that yeah, properly. Yeah, yeah. So if I don't trust you, what I'll hear you say is you're no good you're no at good, getting I'm rid of you. you. Yeah. <laughs> That's if, called constructive dismissal <laughs> and it's actually against the actual law. If there's trust, <laughs> if there's actual trust in the relationship, then mm. I will hear you say, I can see you're struggling and let's try and work out a way where you can truly flourish mm. with your gifts and so on. And that may be here, that may be mm. somewhere else. Yeah. But there was a time when Jesus said to the disciples, um, if you're not received in this town, shake the dust yeah. off your feet. Mm. Mm. And I've often looked at that and thought, yeah, God doesn't need me to flog a dead horse. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There's another beautiful passage in Acts 18 where Paul has the same experience, where he's going into the synagogue and there's just like they're coming back at him. And so he, instead of shaking the dust off his feet, he shakes his clothes and he says, right, that's mm. it. I'm going to focus on the Gentiles, the people outside the synagogue. And he goes to um, person who lives next door to the synagogue who is a God-fearer and one of the synagogue leaders becomes a Christian and the whole household is baptised and it, it's like this flourishing and suddenly God goes, you see, I was just <laughs> waiting for you to come to that point. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and why were you fighting me for all that time? So, yeah, sometimes sometimes these things are, are ways of God showing us. I. To be honest, um, Workshop 1 and 2 came out of precisely that experience. I was sort of like struggling in this place and sort of the fit wasn't quite right and the contract ended and I thought, 
God, you know, that was the place for me. That was my vacation, and you've shut it down. Mm. But what God had done was free me up amazingly and um, to write a book, and write a book I could never have done in the hurly-burly of the everyday, as you might have experienced. You're just like, there's so much going on. Um, I went away for three weeks to stay with a friend, and I wrote 30,000 words. It just poured out. Wow. It was just amazing. And I just had this sense of... God releasing me to do this. And that was part of what that experience was about. Um, and, yeah, it was part of him taking me on this journey to trust him. Mm. Wow. I'm sure this conversation has been helpful to people. And what you've committed yourself to doing is to help others to flourish. And what a beautiful mm. thing you've done. <laughs> Thank you, Cara, for being with us. The publisher is Grace Works. The book is called Workship 2, How to Flourish at Work. Mm. Uh, the author is Cara Martin. And thank you for being with us on Open House. Thank you, Stephen. And I'll be helping Cara to launch her uh, book in a couple of weeks, actually in October in Sydney. I'll keep you up to date with the details. We'll, we'll let you know. It's a good book, isn't it? We've got a great text during uh, that interview as well. Thank you, uh, Ahilan, for your text. Uh, and this is what it says. Hi, loving this discussion about the workplace. I'm a young ad adult and have just finished uni not long ago, and so have been working as an electrical engineer for about a year now. God has helped me find my purpose in the workplace. As an engineer, I usually work with corporate management and electrical tradesmen, and usually there's a lot of hostility and hate between the two parties. When I work, I work with the intention of being a light, and so from that intention I've managed to de-escalate situations between both parties on a daily basis to the point where now the relationship between management and tradesmen has significantly improved and we're now achieving so much more goals than before I came in. I've just moved on to another area of the business but I'm content and happy that I was able to bring the peace of Jesus to my workplace. Although they knew I was a Christian and I didn't get to invite anyone to church or anything like that, I'm glad, though, having Jesus in my life, to have done what Jesus did, which was bring peace wherever he went. I hope this encourages someone. God bless. Well, you have encouraged us. And it is a great story. And you're bringing redemption to your workplace. And just what we should do. What a great text. Thank you for that. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.